This episode of About Them Cowboys is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, they're here to help you in this brave new world of remote working. So find Remarkably Remote on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Hey, Twitter world, yours truly. Well, I, like most of you, just been trying to stay out of harm's way, playing a little bit of golf, but for the most part, been just kind of hanging around the house, watching a lot of Netflix and uh, on demand. <laughs> a little boring, you know. Got a little tough there, you know. I was trying to watch sports for a little while. Um, it was interesting, you know, seeing what was going on with Brady and Bridgewater and Gurley and the guys. But uh, And I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Cam Newton, if he's healthy enough to come back. Because we know if he is, he'll be real good for some team. But I tried to watch sports, you know. It's hard to watch these sports channels because it seems like all they do is argue over the same thing over and over and over. What a farce a lot of those things are. It's like Tim Tebow being rated number 76 as college, uh, top college football player. This guy's one of the greatest college football players ever. I ain't talking about pro. I'm talking college. In any event, try to stay healthy. My best to all those that are out there suffering. All you uh, healthcare workers, my best to you. In any event, stay healthy, continue success. Don't listen to the politicians, only listen to the doctors and the scientists. I'm just saying. The only thing else I got to say is, how about them cowboys? How about them cowboys, indeed. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Jimmy. And thank you, OJ. Free agency frenzy is winding down here in Cowboys Nation, but there's still a few more acquisitions by Jerry left to discuss. But let's hope these signings turn out a little bit better than the ones who are our main subject today. So welcome back into another list episode, special edition of About Them Cowboys here on The Athletic. I am Kent Garrison, keeping myself quarantined as best I can and entertained with shows about insane tiger zoo competitions. So hope everyone is staying safe and healthy out there. Uh, I'm really excited right now to welcome in our panel here at The Athletic because they're going to lead you and guide you through all things that you need to know right now about the Dallas Cowboys football team. And remember, you can follow along with these guys all season long as the NFL season approaches and 24-7 over at The Athletic. If you want 40% off, you can go to theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. Secure that 40% off subscription. Don't even have to think about it or worry about it. Plenty of reading material on there to get you through the quarantine. Dane Brugler has turned in his draft guide. It is being edited as I speak. It'll be dropping here right at the beginning of the month, probably within a week or two. So if you want that at no extra charge for you know included in your athletic subscription, go ahead and use our link for 40% off, theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. And be sure to tune into Prospects to Pros as we anticipate the draft as well, because resident member of the show, Kevin K.T. Turner, will probably be making another appearance on there as the draft approaches, and we'll want to stay plugged in to all that. So again, theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys for 40% off. So now, time to welcome in our panel for this episode. First, we're welcoming back to the show again. He's the staff editor of The Athletic Dallas, and if I were ever running for president... He'd be my campaign manager. So I'd say he's like the Joshua Dial of the podcast. It's Mike Pellucci. Hey, Mike, how are you? Um, that's a heck of an intro, Kent. I'm doing great. I don't know how our how far our collective campaign would go, but, uh, you know, I appreciate your confidence in me. I would trust you. I would trust you to run my campaign straight to the White House. Thank you. And he knows more about this industry than pretty much everyone, including everyone I know, and he's our resident Detroit Tiger. I'd say he's like the Doc Animal of the podcast because he's my spiritual leader. It's Father John Mishota. Hey, John. I was wondering who you were going to say. I'm fine with that. He uh, he maybe is the least awful person on the show of the, of mm. the of the main three. He's obviously not good, but uh, you didn't call me Carol, so I'll take it. Yeah, nobody's Carol on the show. Nobody is. Which leads me to our host. 
He's sitting on his velvet-covered throne, surrounded by definitely legitimately bred tigers. He's a Joe Exotic of the podcast because whatever he says around here goes. And he likes to wear a man thong from time to time. It's Kevin KT Turner. KT, uh, welcome you to the show with a laptop that is definitely not covered in whiskey. We're excited to have you here. <laughs> and, you know, just a few headlines to go over, KT, before we dive into this worst Cowboys free agency signings of all time list. I'm excited about this. It's going to be good. Man, you nailed it from the mullet and the uh, eyebrow ring. You know, I've kind of got those uh, attributes, yeah. but I'm not in prison right now. So that's the only difference that I have from Joe Exotic. Yeah, I also have a, a quite a bit of a country music career as well. You do. Uh, but that's, about that's that. all in my past. Yeah, um, you, you saw Tiger. For sure. And uh, Tiger saw me. Yeah, I've been saying on the show for weeks that you sit on your throne, and then I saw Tiger King. I was like, oh, that's KT. Am I the only one that hasn't watched it yet? I think you might I be. Think so. in, yeah. in the entire world. In America, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got to get on that. Uh, it, you got to kind of experience this quarantine with everybody by watching Tiger King. It's just crazy enough to bring some levity to this situation. It's, yeah, an, right. it's a little bit insane, but uh, but yeah. Well, enough Tiger King. I'm ready to talk about some football. Yeah, no, and let's do that. First of all, before we get into to Cowboys news, can I just say this because it is Cowboys related? I just saw that the Browns have, are signing former Falcons defensive end Adrian Claiborne. So oh. I don't know. I need to be a Debbie Downer to start the podcast. Do the Bengals have Chaz Green right now? Yeah. Facing well, off against him in the, the divisional games this year. <laughs> As our mutual friend Dave Hellman points out, Cleveland is on the schedule this year. So. Oh. Hopefully Tyron and Lyle will be healthy and yeah. ready to go because I'd hate to see what happens if they're not around. But maybe we'll talk about swing tackle another day. Yeah, We do need to talk about the signing of Don Terry Poe and the signing of Greg the Leg. Um, John, which would you like to start with? I'll let you pick uh, which option and I'll let you just kind of give your thoughts on uh, which player you'd like to weigh in on. I guess I'll start with Poe and just the fact that um, you know, he's a name. He's, he's somebody that people should be somewhat familiar with. Um, you know, I mean, he's probably not the same level of uh, interest that he had coming out of college, but still, you know, he was a guy that they played next to uh, Gerald McCoy last year in Carolina only for a year. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that when they signed him, it makes you think even more that there's going to be some three, four being played up front than uh, at least more than what we've seen in the past. Cause I, I believe the three, four nose tackle spots were, Poe was best utilized at. And so, you know, he had four sacks last year and then he had a, a quad injury, I believe in week 12. And then, so I think he had surgery and, and kind of really wasn't, you know, part of the team after that. And it was only a one year thing. So obviously the Cowboys see something in him, see something in McCoy that they felt like, yeah, even though uh, that it didn't get great results in Carolina in their one year together, that maybe that they can get them in a position to where, uh, you know, pairing them together, they can make more plays. Obviously, Mike McCarthy has said that, you know, he wanted to get bigger at defensive tackle than what was already on the roster. Obviously, he's done that with those two guys. And so, uh, I don't know. I look at it as I'm, I'm interested. I'm intrigued because they need to get better at stopping the run. They need to get better at plugging the middle of that defense. But then you look at what Carolina did last year. Who, who, Carolina has good linebackers, too, that they were obviously blocking for or getting in the way of uh, up front and, and Luke Keekley and Shaq Thompson and, Carolina's run defense was awful last year. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm intrigued by McCoy and, and Poe just because their names uh, and they interest me from a standpoint that they were high first round picks. And so uh, you want to kind of see what they have left there. But, you know, obviously both guys are, you know, 30 and older, or at least Poe is going to be 30 and and uh, McCoy is already over 30. So that one is the more interesting of the two for me. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I still don't think they're done at defensive tackle. But uh, but yeah, it was an in interesting signing that I wasn't necessarily expecting. You know, Mike, you look at the the contracts, and we don't know the the terms for Don Terry Poe yet. We'll get that, you know, a little bit later. He's going to have to complete a physical and all that stuff. But you look at the contract that Malik Collins got, what Robert Quinn got, and what the Cowboys signed for Gerald McCoy. What would you rather have, Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe or Robert Quinn and Malik Collins? I'd rather have what the Cowboys got for the dollar cost that they have, right? I mean – you know, our own Bob Sturm wrote a great breakdown of McCoy when he signed and sort of broke everything down. And you can make an argument that McCoy is a better player right now than Billy Collins is. Now, of course, there's the age factor, but they can get out of that deal without too much pain after the first year. I believe it's what they have, it's three and a half mil of dead money. Am I right about that with McCoy? Uh, yeah, I believe that's correct. 
Right. So uh, you have, yeah. Yeah. And we don't know the terms for Poe. Um, you know, I think with Quinn, I mean, look, obviously Quinn did so much for them, but when he, when he gets that number, this team wasn't equipped to really pay that when so much of the attention is currently being focused on, you know, they got the deal done with Amari, they're working on Dak. That wasn't going to happen. And for as much as we all here are collectively bummed about losing him, I do think it's worth noting that, you know, look, was the plan to keep him around? Sure. But when you look at the acquisition cost last year of a sixth round pick, you trade a six for one year of Quinn, you you made a profit off that exchange. Obviously, this didn't work out in the bigger picture, but even one year for what you paid, you got so much more return. So I think given that, given what the relative investment here is with Poe on a two-year deal with McCoy, being able to get out of that after one year, if it's bad, with three and a half billion of dead money, I think it's key. And I think the other aspect of this, and you know, this is a little reductive. I think the average, you know, I think if we all think about this, it makes sense, but it has to be said, right? Dontari Poe is a very large man and we can sit here and we can think, okay, you know, whether it's the three, four, whether it's the four, three, obviously what we have heard so far is they want to be flexible, multiple and play to talent and all that. If you look at a 3-4, there are a lot of malleable parts that you can fit around, right? There are all kinds of tweener edge rushers that you can put out on the outside. There are a decent supply of linemen that are kind of, you know, 4-3-D tackle or 4-3-D at hybrid guys, those 280, 285 pounders that you could work with. There is only a set number of 355-pound six foot three dudes who can clog the middle. And even if Poe isn't what Poe was, and you know, we don't know, right? He did spend a lot of time out last year, but at the floor is just, he can soak up space. And there are only so many guys we can do that with. I mean, last year we were used to Antoine Woods being their version of a space eater. Antoine Woods is a big man, but he's also about six feet, six one, probably more around 320. You can't fake size like that. And a three, four scheme doesn't work in the NFL without something like that. And there's just not much inventory, you know, and what else were you going to do to make that happen? You know, it's maybe you go the draft route, but there isn't an obvious guy near the top of the draft board that really fits that profile right now. So Poe is so useful because he's just, you know, it's a limited supply and they got one of those. And that really enables a lot of things. And look, they want to go multiple and, you know, have inside looks where it's Ty Crawford and Gerald McCoy. It's a four, three pass rushing front. You could do that. But you, if you want to go three, four, you need something to soak up those snaps in the middle and Poe can be that guy. You know, you look at Don Terry Poe and obviously missing five games last year, but throughout his eight-year career, he has been pretty durable. And he has been a guy who's consistently played, you know, 70 to 75% of the snaps on defense. So he's capable of being an every-down player. He just hasn't really done that the last two years. He only played about half the snaps in 2018 for Carolina, but he was pretty fresh, uh, you know, when he came out, when he was uh, – for when he played last year, he was pretty fresh – had four sacks, had some tackles for a loss, um, but just kind of playing in that nose tackle position, you know, as a three-four in Carolina. We'll see how he he's used here, and I feel like him is the one. Gerald McCoy is a three. Maybe you're taking a step back as a pass rushing defensive line. You're definitely improving as a run defense um, with just the bigger bodies in there. You know, I can't tell you how many times Robert Quinn and Malik Collins, as great as they were against the pass. Just how many times they blew their gap assignment or got blown out on a double team or or whatever would happen. You know, it was just, you know, not playing great all-around team run defense. You know, Poe and McCoy are going to do that for you as long as they're healthy. And, yeah, you're right. You look at McCoy's contract. It's a contract they can get out of after two years. I mean, if you really look at that contract and view it as a two-year deal, it's a little easier to swallow and really take a look at. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I want to see the money and what they're paying Poe. You know, I, I love Robert Quinn and what he brought here, and I don't think last year's team has the record they have last year without him there. I worry about who's going to be rushing off that right defensive end. I know they're kind of counting on getting Tyrone Crawford back in the mix to play inside or defensive end, but I do worry about defensive end without Robert Quinn being there. But, look, it's kind of one of those things like, hey, if we're going to uh, make a step forward as a run defense – we're probably going to have to take the hit as a pass defense a little bit um, in terms of rushing the passer. And that's where, to me, I'm not sure, seeing how cheap Malik Collins was, you know, I don't know, we, the money with Robert Quinn gets up there, but to me, I get nervous by letting not only your top pass rusher last year go away, but your top corner. You combine those two things and you go, well, now those are two things that are very hard to replace. So I, I still don't know how I feel, and I hate to ride the fence there. I, the names McCoy and Poe are fine, 
but losing what you lost and then combine it with what you took on the back end does concern me that this defense hasn't really or is not going to be able to really, you know, take those strides and get better. Obviously, the draft will you know, have something to say about that. Um, John, do you want to weigh in on some of the thoughts that Mike and I just had on that? Well, I was just going to say, even when you bring those guys back, this defense still isn't good. So, I mean, we <laughs> yeah. saw them. We yeah, saw them for 16 games. We got a pretty good sample size here. Robert yeah. Quinn's 11 and a half sacks got them what? Byron Jones is, you know, another 16 games as a starter with with no big plays. It got them what? You know, so um, I don't know. I just I kind of look at it as, yeah, they got to make something else happen. Obviously, a new coaching staff, things are going to change. And, you know, I don't know that Malik Collins maybe takes that deal with some other teams. I think it, part of that factoring in was that, uh, he really feels like he's a good fit with Rod Marinelli. They have a good relationship now that Rod Marinelli's with the Raiders. I just think that that made more sense for him. Uh, so I think that probably factored into his contract as well. Um, so now the thing I, I will say though about McCoy too is that uh, you know I was talking to Joe Person who uh, covers the uh, Panthers for the Athletic, and he was saying how one of the factors in their season last year that probably hurt McCoy's that Kawan short was coming off a pro bowl year. And then he had a torn rotator cuff and he was done by October. And so, yeah. you, you know, you take a D tackle like that out of the mix, like it's, it changes some things up and uh, you know, it had some obviously negative impact there. Um, but also, you know, with, with them switching necessarily, if they are switching to more of a three, four, I don't know that that's the best thing for Gerald McCoy. You know, I mean, I, I think he's better as a four three like three tech, and I and certainly listening to interviews yeah. that he's done since he's signed, that certainly seems like what he was told he was going to do. So a lot of this is still it's it's intriguing to me, and we don't, we don't get the time to meet with people like we did obviously before COVID nineteen, and we're not going to get those same conversations that we would get now with the draft. Is I'm probably going to be covering it from my, my home, and you know we're not going to get a lot of the you know walk off behind the scenes information to kind of get a better feel for things. So it's almost I got to see what they do in the draft. You know I got to see how how they you know add there because as you mentioned you know losing Robert Quinn. No, they need another they need another elite pass rusher at, at right the end, and those guys don't just grow on trees. Obviously, they felt like they needed one badly next last year, and that's why they traded for Robert Quinn. Uh, and and you'd love if you were the Cowboys to find another deal like that where you get a good veteran pass rusher for a sixth round pick. That obviously worked out great for them, but uh, that doesn't appear like that's the case right now. And so you kind of got to see with what you have. But my big thing is is that I know there's losses on defense, but I just don't really think it was some great defense last year anyway. No, yeah, no, I absolutely. The, yeah, I'd, I'd say the last thing I'd say just to, you know because KT raised a good point about you know, the bigger picture stuff. I do think some of my answer is grounded to the fact that the commitments for these two players are so minimal. And I do think look, yeah. if there's anything that we have seen from the last administration and just what we probably expect from Mike McCarthy, this is gonna be a long ride. This isn't going to be a figure it out in three years thing. So for me, you know, I do think we have to weigh the fact that what are you letting walk out the door? Are we really sure Malik Collins is that great of a player and much less a great fit for what they want to do defensively? Because I still think there's a lot of question marks there, even though he did take a step forward last year. And beyond that, are you willing to give that kind of a deal to Quinn, who's you know a 29-year-old pass rusher who obviously, as KT pointed out, isn't great against the run? So for me, you know, I could see a scenario, certainly, which those two players are better than the two the Cowboys are getting in the short term. But I think the combination of you know, the size increase, the flexibility that you're allowed, that this will afford you as far as having a true nose and a guy like McCoy, who probably is better as a 4-3 under, but at least lengthwise, you think could maybe profile a 3-4. And the fact that this goes sideways, you are out of this with minimal pain. That to me, I think does factor in a bit beyond just the on-field aspects. And there is something too, just changing a little bit of what you're doing in general and changing the personnel. This is going to be a defense that no longer plays the style of everyone do things right, everyone do your assignment, um, and as long as we do that and everyone tries hard, we're going to be fine. It's no longer that. This is going to be more of a risk-taking defense. This is going to be a defense that blitzes, you know, in the top half of the league. They're not going to be one of the the least blitzing teams in the league anymore. That's in Mike Nolan's DNA, um, and I think you'll see that here, depending on the personnel. And you've got some guys who have shown to be good blitzers. We've seen Jalen Smith be a pretty good blitzing linebacker. We've seen Jordan Lewis be an excellent blitzing cornerback. You know, you're going to see them do some things that's a little different. And I, I do like that they're changing to that and not just doing this. Well, as long as we put our head down and do what we do, we'll be fine. You know, that kind of antiquated way of playing defense. I'm glad that's going away. Um, but, you know, I, I, another name I want to throw out there 
Uh, and we'll start with you, John. You know, Tyrone Crawford, because we're here, Tyrone Crawford, you know, they've got the option where they could save some money on the cap by cutting him. But it's obvious they want him back. I thought they might, you know, cut him and then you're, or try to get a pay cut. That's what I thought they might do. They had no problem doing that to Sean Lee. They had no problem doing that to Doug Free years ago. I thought Tyrone Crawford would be a candidate coming off injury to be a guy who you could go, you know what, look, your contract's not great, but we want you here. We love you. Let's do something at $5 million. Let's do something at, you know, four and a half, kind of, you know, take the Witten money, you know, or whatever. I kind of thought they might go that direction, uh, but I'm kind of surprised that hasn't happened. Are you surprised they haven't done anything with Tyrone Crawford's contract? Um, I would have been, if not for being at the Combine and, and just hearing what Jerry had to say about Crawford and how much he really liked him and wanted him to be part of this mix. Uh, you know, that's that's one of those things I thought going into the offseason that they were probably going to at least ask for a pay cut, not necessarily move in another direction, and that hasn't happened yet. So, um, yeah, it, it is interesting, and he, he's a good team leader guy, and he's a guy that, you know, maybe, maybe if he's around all of last year, maybe – you know, maybe he rubs off on Tristan Hill and you get a little bit more out of him. Maybe Gerald McCoy helps bring along Tristan Hill, you know, like th- th- there's it's more than just the players with those two guys, as far as I'm concerned, because they are good leader captain type guys um, that when they've been around, uh, those been a good guys that have been kind of face of the defense type players. Now, um, I don't know. I, I don't like Tyron Crawford's solid, you know, like he you know what you're going to get with him. He can play a bunch of different positions, but it's if you told me he's going to play you know, 16 games at right defensive end and they're playing a 4-3, you know, I don't see him getting more than maybe, you know, four or five sacks, if that. Yeah, no, I know. I agree. I agree with you. Like, that's the whole thing is like, they may just be so desperate, especially at defensive end and knowing that he can play defensive end, they may just be so desperate at that position that's like, hey, we got to have you. Because, I mean, the defensive end depth chart gets pretty ugly pretty quickly behind Demarcus Lawrence. and. You have every question mark in the world on Randy Gregory. Dorrance Armstrong is there, but you don't really know what you got. You're probably going to add a defensive end in the draft, but you know, that becomes a very messy position very quickly. Kerry uh, Hyder left as well. It becomes a very messy position, uh, and you take Tyron Crawford away from it, and the coverage kind of bare. So um, I kind of understand it, but I also just thought that was a gift that they could kind of mess around with his contract. Now, moving on, I saw this tweet from our great friend Bob Sturm. You know, Maher had missed 10 kicks last year in 13 games. No other kicker had missed eight. They signed Kai Forbath, and then out of nowhere, at least to me it was out of nowhere, they bring on Greg the Leg Zerline from the Rams. Uh, what were your guys' initial thoughts on the Cowboys adding a little kicker uh, competition in here? I, I think for me, I mean, you know, Greg, the, as much as kickers are names, Greg the Leg is one of them, right? Uh, it stood out to me for two reasons. One – I guess haha Clint Dix is this to a point, but it's a, such a small financial commitment versus a three-year deal at two and a half mil per for a kicker is, you know, that's not that's not negligible. Um, so to me, it was the first case of a coach bringing in one of their guys, right? Greg, you know, John Fossil comes from Los Angeles, who is the face of that special teams unit? It's Greg Zerline. So that to me was very interesting of, you know, and I suppose it makes sense, right? If you're going to lure one of the best special teams coaches from a team that's been very successful, you're probably going to let him have some say and proof is in the pudding. He's even though Kai Forbath looked pretty competent down the stretch, even though we know the volatility of kickers as evidenced by Greg Zerline last year, which we'll get to um, the fact that Fossil is able to come in there and, you know, with this kicking situation seemingly figured out, say, nope, I want Zerline, pay him and it gets done. That says something. The other thing that jumps out is, you know, so Zerline regressed big time last year, 72.7% field goal percentage. Uh, the year before, it's 87. The year before, it's 95. The year before that, it's 86, right? So this is a big step back. If you look at it, though, um, he's, you know, there's only one area that is a big problem, which if this is going to give you some awful flashbacks of Brad Maher, we'll get ready. It's 40 to 49 uh, yards out. Brad Maher last year from that distance was one of five. That was really the worst spot of the field for him. Uh, Greg Zerline last year, five of 11 for that range. Yeah. So not, not what you want. Um, I mean, look, I feel like this was probably unnecessary. I think uh, if he gets back to what he was, then fantastic. And he probably earns you know more of his price tag than the average kicker. But kickers are so volatile. We've already seen a year in which it didn't work. It specifically didn't work from the distance that killed Dallas last year. You have a guy in Forbath who he's been around and obviously it's not great, but 
it's not uncommon for kickers to bounce around and go through hot stretches and cold stretches. To me, it felt like keep Forbath, bring in a, you know an undrafted guy, you know have some competition in camp, but don't invest resources much less on a guy that you're not sure what he is at this point. So this this made me this made me wonder what the plan is a little bit. Yeah, I'm thinking that they're just they they let Fossil do what he wanted and was probably committed. Uh, to this, let's remember, I mean, Kai Forbath wasn't even on a team for most of last year. Then he goes to the Patriots. Uh, when he was with the Patriots for that one game, he didn't even handle their kickoff duties there because that's not really uh, a strength of his. Then he comes over to the Cowboys. His first kickoff goes out of bounds. Like So with that, with Forbath, I think that there's a little bit of concern on the kickoffs as well. Um, and so I think that they wanted to bring in somebody else. And hey, if Kai Forbath is great and you know, whenever training camp starts, however they go about this offseason, uh, then maybe he wins the job. But uh, I'm sure Fossil really went to bat for Zerline. I've read some things that he had a quad issue last year. I don't know how much that contributed to it. You know, obviously mm. LA was playing outside. He'll be playing most most of his games inside now. Um, you know, he hit the game winner from I think it was like 57. I think I believe for the yeah uh, he was still he was still good from distance. I mean, he was five of seven for 50 plus, and that's pretty yeah. in line with what he's always done. And that's why I'm so curious why that you know long intermediate to long range was a problem. I mean, obviously this is one of those times where I wish we could get John Fossil with that normal access and ask, okay, so what? What happens? How much of an anomaly could this be? And how fixable is it? Clearly, he thinks it is. Yeah, to me, you're not paying 2.25 million guaranteed, which is what Zerline's getting for a guy to be your backup kicker or, or to be in a kicking competition in training camp, assuming that we have a training camp. Like to me, that's just, and I don't know, like two in the salary cap that's got tons of money, and we're talking about Dak getting 35. I understand, but $2 million does seem like. A bit of a stretch for a guy who you're just simply asking to be in, you know, a kicking competition. I liked what John mentioned about touchbacks with Kai Forbath. I think maybe there's something where you know Zerline could help out um, by bombing it into the end zone. That's certainly not Kai Forbath's game, so maybe that's kind of it. Hey, let's just get the automatic touchback. We were piss poor at tackling and covering kicks last year. Let's eliminate that and just boot it into the end zone every time. Maybe that's a bit of it, but. Also, if you're making these wide sweeping changes at special teams and you're counting on John Fossil, well, you would hope that tackling on on kickoff returns wouldn't be a problem. So it was a head scratcher for sure for me. I, I'm not surprised they brought in competition for Kai Forbath. I was just surprised that it would come in the way of guaranteed money uh, at over $2 million for Greg's airline. But uh, either way, so by, by the way, if you're, I know, um, like if you are kind of looking at it, you are pulling for Zerline to beat Forbath in the kicking competition in training camp, I think, if you're go ahead and sinking those guaranteed assets into it. So I kind of view it that way. Um, hey, let me add I, one I wanna, more thing real quick on, yes, on the sir. special teams. Um, obviously, last year, just a horrible special teams unit all over the place for the Cowboys. I don't think we need to go into that, but I did find it interesting how many of those key special teams players last year were all brought back. Now they are one-year deals. One, yeah. There are they are one year deals, but you got CJ Goodwin, Justin March, Darian Thompson. I mean, these are some of your top guys in tackles on special teams last year. So I don't know. I just found that that pretty interesting because, you know, obviously Jerry said after that New England game that, you know, special teams is all about coaching, all this other stuff. And I'm sure from afar, a lot of people would think that, well, they probably just had poor special teams players. Well, you know, John Fossil is one of the best special teams coaches in the league, and they're resigning a lot of these guys. Like I said, it's only one year deals, but it's interesting. It's going to be interesting if you have pretty much that same nucleus out there, and then all of a sudden you go from being one of, if not the worst special teams units last year, to even being middle of the pack this year. Man, that's going to say a lot about John Fossil. Um, let's go ahead and move on now. Kent Garrison, our producer, has sent over a list, and I, I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. And what we we're going to discuss tonight is some of the best, I'm sorry, sorry, some of the worst Cowboys free agent signings over the years. And when you kind of go through it, you know, you kind of go, you know what? They really don't have anything that's really killed them. You know, a lot of teams go get aggressive and they sign someone and it just kills their cap because they, you know, get a guy who just didn't, for whatever reason, didn't perform. Josh Norman in Washington comes to mind real quickly. Like, man, he ended up being benched for most of the year last year. Suiting out and being benched, like not even like he was taking up another roster spot for a player. Um, and Kent's list is what we're gonna kind of go off of. I do have one of my own I want to throw in. 
I did think it was interesting that Kent went with his nemesis, Brett Maher, at the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went, uh, that was the first one that came to mind because he was basically cut midseason and he was brought in post uh, Dan Bailey, or I guess, you know, get, made Dan Bailey lose his job. And before that, Dan Bailey was like, invincible around here as the kicker i mean you wouldn't even think about dan bailey not being around till brett maher showed up at camp and then everybody was i don't know if it was keith o'quinn or who it was at the time that was like trust me this is the guy this is gonna be our guy and nothing he did outside of make a couple of extraordinarily long field goals uh proved that he was extremely inconsistent and no longer has a job, you know. Well, so, ba- well, Bailey was bad, and Bailey was really bad in training camp, though, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, like there yeah, weren't was... many days when he would kick six field goals and that he wouldn't miss at least one or two. And so the kind of the writing was on the wall that you know most of us assumed, yeah, well, he's Dan Bailey. He's been their kicker for a while yeah. now. They're going to still keep him, but it wasn't like he was just going out there and it was the same guy and just knocking him through. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just threw you for this loop and there was roster cut downs. I mean, ba- Bailey left the door open. As he was coming off an injury too. Bailey was um and so yeah I mean anytime you you know bring in a new guy you think he's going to be the guy and that were they were extremely wrong on that one on that front I think everybody would be willing to admit that that didn't work out and I just wish you know we talked last year about this I just wish they would have let him go sooner I think I could, yeah. could tell by week two or three that that he wasn't the guy and they let it linger, and it cost them some really, really important moments in the season, specifically against the Packers. Uh, and so, yeah, man, it's it's sad and it's tough for him. But, uh, but yeah, that one came to mind. Uh, you know, just to preface this, KT, before you go down the list, uh-huh. you're right. And Mike, I told him to look up some people. They've been they've done really well in free agency. I mean, they haven't built their teams through free agency. In recent years, you know, since I started covering the team in 2013, they've really built through the draft. They've signed maybe some veteran names that have, uh, you know, kind of the end of their careers. Maybe you can get them on a one or two year deal for some a pretty cheap, uh, you know, deal. They traded for the Amari thing so that they didn't really it wasn't really a free agency acquisition. They would have had to spend a lot of money to to acquire him through free agency. But, yeah, man, they've done they've done very well in free agency, not going all in in free agency on some guys that uh, end up being busts or are, are peaking, have already peaked, uh, you know. So that that stuck out to me when I, there was a lot less than I had anticipated there being. But the ones that did, you know, that we'll talk about here uh, are, are pretty bad. Some pretty bad decisions and pretty bad deals. Well, let's go to, let's go to Nolan Carroll. Nolan yeah. Carroll's a guy who they wanted to bring in and, and be a starting quarterback, I think, was their, you know, was their intention. And it just didn't work out. Now, he got in trouble um, when he got the, the, uh, the suspicion of uh, DWI. Um, but it, it was a three-year deal. It was a $10 million contract. And Brandon Carr and Morris Claiborne were leaving that year. So you had a hole. You had a, some, something to fix there. You were coming off that 2016 season, so you know you still had eyes on the prize. Feel like in Dak's second year, you know this is going to be a contender. And Nolan Carroll, you know, got there. He got a concussion in the game two, and then he was inactive. And then by October 11th, without even playing a full game and a half, you know the Cowboys had already cut him in October. Uh, on a three-year, $10 million deal. So Nolan Carroll does jump out as kind of being a bad free agent signing. So when I looked at this list, I, I was like, this is a really good idea. I, I like the idea of this for a podcast. And I was like, you know what? I might even, I'm thinking about writing some for Friday on The Athletic about just, I was going to pare it down to more just uh, the five best and the five worst over the last decade. So it would be basically the five best, five worst of really the Jason Garrett era. And no question, Nolan Carroll is one of them. And and when I was going through these last 10 years, the, one of the things for me that I was doing is is I wasn't going to put guys on there um, like George Ioka because it's a one-year deal. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't, it, it just it's not a big investment. So everything I was looking at was more two, three-year deals, things like that. I was looking for two-digit numbers, like two-digit, uh, you know, 10 million and up uh, right. kind of money. So yeah, so so Nolan Carroll obviously is is on there for me, um, but that's like 
that's why I wouldn't include, let's say, like a Coney Ely who didn't even, you know, they sign him and he sure. doesn't even end up playing that season just because he's a one-year deal type guy. But uh, but no question, yeah, Nolan Carroll's on there. Um, let me, I'm just going to run through mine real quick. Uh, Cedric Thornton, uh, Greg Hardy, I'm sure we're going to talk about. But one guy that's not on your list that when I was looking it up, I was like, this guy has to be on there, is Nate Livings. And that's because oh, wow. they... They signed Nate Livings to a five-year deal. It was a little over $18 million to be the step in there. They were at the patchwork. This is like 2012. They were patchworking this offensive line together. It was really in a rebuild stage, and they really started rebuilding in 11 with, with the Tyron Smith pick. And so in 12, you sit there, and you get Nate Livings, and you think that he's going to be your starting left guard for a while, um, and he only starts for the next season, and it just was a disaster, and he was already gone after one year. So that's only only person I really wanted to add that wasn't on the list. No, I, I'm glad you said that. Now, I, I do want to go to uh, – well, stay on offensive line. We'll talk about Cedric Thornton in a minute. I had to go back to the 2000s to really find one, and it was Marco Rivera. And, you know, Marco Rivera, you look at that deal, five years, $20 million contract. This is in 06 or 07, I believe. Maybe it was 08. And – that first offseason before the season, right? So he hasn't even played a game for the Cowboys. He hurts his back running at a hotel uh, on a treadmill in Baltimore. And it's like, dude, we just gave you $20 million. We need you to kind of help this offensive line. And they were kind of patching the, the offensive line mode then, too, in the late 2000s. And that Marco Rivera, he ended up, you know, he was a durable guy until he got to the Cowboys and he ended up not being very durable. Uh, so I, that one's one that wasn't on Kent's list that I that kind of jumped out at me as I guess you could probably call that a bad signing because yeah, Marco Rivera I mean, you can not, you feel bad though I mean it's different just because Marco Rivera could play Marco yeah. Rivera was great in Green Bay and then you just have a fluke thing versus like a Cedric Thornton just couldn't play you know so yeah I mean that's always a tricky one in terms of the end overall impact you're totally right I I didn't put it in the same category just because it's like all right that's just a, a fluke awful circumstance that probably nobody can do anything about. I remember him signing Cedric Thornton in like the press conference after, and he was saying, you know, Jason was asked about it like immediately, like, why'd you do this? Why'd you give this guy such a big contract? He's like, well, he's kicked our ass when he was in Philadelphia <laughs> for so long. Yeah, those always go well. And yeah, didn't really contribute much of anything when he was in uh, when he was in Dallas, and then I think went to Buffalo after that, after he was waived by the Cowboys. It- yeah, There's something that has came. to be said for Rod Marinelli, though, too. Always wanting these like lower level guys to be the guys in the middle of the line that really didn't want to invest high picks or, or a lot of money at that position. It was kind of like just give me these, you know, work hard guys that, uh, you know, they. I'm looking for a guy that can do this one thing, and it doesn't need to be a super talented guy. You can give me a Stephen Paella and things like that. And oh, it just now that we have this 10 year sample size of it, I don't know if that was the best idea. Well, it's the whole mindset of I'm a coach. I'm going to coach everything up. Everything's going to be fine. Everyone just trust me. I'm a coach. I'm going to coach it up. Well, I don't know, man. You know, if you look at Cedric Thornton, if I'm doling out four years at $18 million, and I guaranteed you six of that, so I, I really gave you a one-year $6 million deal. It's kind of what it ended up being. But I need you to go beat guys like rookie Malik Collins and Terrell McClain, who had his own injury issues. And Terrell McClain was a good player when he was healthy. But I can't even beat the rookie. I need the guy that I'm giving money in free agency to to beat the third round rookie and Malik Collins. And he couldn't beat him out, and he couldn't beat out Terrell McLean, and ended up yeah just being a bummer. I I also disagree with like, hey man, uh, I gotta go sign this guy because he's been kicking my ass. Well, maybe he's kicking your butt because you weren't doing things correctly against him. Maybe that's kind of on you. Because Cedric Thornton at the time when that signing happened, Cedric Thornton was not household name, big name guy. And I know this deal is not, you know, set in the record books. Four years and 18 on paper, you know, it's not like, especially back in 2016, it's not like some huge deal. But, you know, it did seem at the time like, hey, man, I'm doling out this money for for him to be a starter. And they just couldn't do it, especially at a time when I know people don't like to admit it. But Tony Romo, Tony Romo was crunching the cap a little bit in those years. Uh, I know everyone talks about what's going to happen to the cap once that gets signed. But Tony was taking a large percentage of the cap. So you needed to have, you know, some thrifty moves, and that turned out not to be one. That was one of the most glaring ones on, on your list there, Kent. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. And now there's a couple of more, uh, you know, kind of those guys that, that John had, had mentioned. You know, Henry Melton comes to mind as a guy. I think he signed a four-year contract, and it lasted like one year. 
in 2014. He was an old Marinelli guy from Chicago who he thought he could yeah. get some more out of. He was a Pro Bowl guy in Chicago for a year and then came here and did almost nothing for this defense in a year where they really could have made a run. Uh, you know, probably could have used him sacking Aaron Rodgers in that game in Green Bay. You know, it didn't happen. But, yeah, man, like I said, they've done fairly well in free agency. I mean, some some older names come to mind, though, if you want to rewind a little bit. Uh, Ryan Leaf, maybe? Remember when they uh, tried to bring Ryan Leaf in here? and uh, God, they were desperate, huh? Yeah, they were desperate, man. And, and it, you know, reminds me, too, of Tony Banks. Remember when uh, Baltimore won the Super Bowl and then – Tony Banks came in here and they're like, Tony, they were like saying like, Tony Banks is better than, uh, than Dilfer, you know, but Dilfer was kind of the game manager kind of guy. I mean, and, Tony had talent. Tony had a lot of physical yeah. tools. And then, um, they signed Tony Banks, basically like, you're going to be our starter. You're our guy. And he comes to Dallas. And I remember on the news, they like, he's at the airport and all these fans are there to welcome him to town. And it was like replacing Aikman with Tony Banks. And then... <laughs> And then they uh, they drafted Quincy, and Tony Banks never saw the field, and he never made it out of training camp. And that was I'm going to level with you. The Dallas thing that I remember Tony Banks for is never related to the Cowboys. It is only that Crystal Taylor was his ex-girlfriend before she was Dirk's girlfriend that uh, caused yeah. the whole freaky situation there. Uh, that is literally how I remember Tony Banks in Dallas. It has nothing to do with the Cowboys. Remember um, Eddie George, too? Was a- oh, man coming off the Tennessee Titans uh, run. and That last year in Tennessee nothing. was bad, too. I mean, that that should have been the warning sign. Like, a big back like that, had, he was already starting to decline. Like, it wasn't going to end well. It was not good at all. Man, there were some of those years when you'd be lucky to have anybody that was gaining positive yardage on offense. You know, like, it got it got so bad for a while. But I think maybe the biggest one that, that I think did the most damage, KT, going to talk about this for a minute i love john's thoughts because we lived it was greg hardy and uh you know maybe concentrate on that a little bit i think it was the number i saw was one year 10 million dollars to bring him in here and try to revive guaranteed though right i'm not sure i that was just the number i i think spot track had that number uh i know it was 11 it was 11 okay, million i'm not that. sure how much of that was guaranteed but it was 11 million i thought i saw sure. somewhere that none of it was guaranteed but just the collateral damage was so bad it didn't matter Maybe. Yeah, I mean, look, John, you know, you're obviously in the locker room every day. Kent, too, you as well. From the the beginning, it felt like a situation, well, this guy's probably not the, quote, RKG or right kind of guy that Garrett wants. Uh, So it was always a little strange from that. But, you know, I remember when it happened, you know, again, you have to remember timing on, on all this. 2014, you've got Des catch, not catch situation. You go into 2015 and you're thinking, gosh, look at that season we just had. We're about to put it all together this year. Not even Blandino can screw us here. Let's really gear up. And when Greg Cardi was just kind of floating out there and free, you know, them adding him to the mix and adding a pass rush, which was so detrimental to to their, you know, success in 2014. I mean, the the, the lack of pass rush – really hurt them in 2014. They knew that was the big step, the missing link, you know, in 2015. So going out and getting Greg Hardy didn't surprise me. It was just just the, the guy that he is, knowing what you knew about him at the time, the fact that he was going through all that during a time when the league was kind of having a lot of cases of controversial issues. It just seemed like a bad fit at the time for a Jason Garrett-led team. Um and for him to kind of stick around as long as he did was even a little surprising. And it was to surprise if I don't think many people that it didn't end well. And Jason calling him the right kind of guy, too, at the time. I mean, he was like, yeah, yeah. we called Carolina and they they endorsed him. And it's like, yeah, right. They did not. And, you know, saying they, they did all their due diligence and they're confident he was the right kind of guy. And I remember being there when in Jerry's office when they signed Greg Hardy. I was shooting video of it. And Jason Garrett comes in and and kind of awkwardly blows him up, like, Greg, oh, you know, like punching him and stuff. And then like, well, as we're leaving, uh, Greg Hardy's walking down the hall. Jason Garrett's right behind him, and I'm right behind Jason Garrett. And Jason Garrett, like, jumped on his back, like, trying to be what? all, like, buddy-buddy with him. Yeah, it was very <laughs> – like, he was – 
trying to convince himself that like this could be a good move by like being awkward, funny buddy with him, you know, and yeah. trying to like put on a show for people like me with cameras there. Like I'm okay with this when clearly he wasn't, but I mean, that just shows Jerry's influence on the team and they needed a pass rusher and Jerry's, you know, I remember Charlotte having to go do like a, a news, what's it called? A car wash with everybody because there was a big domestic violence um, issue in the NFL back then with Ray Rice, Ray Rice and everything. And how could you possibly sign this guy? And their whole thing was, well, there's no better rehab than playing for the Cowboys because you have to behave because the spotlight is so big on you. And then, you know, if you remember, John, he um, oh, I remember. buddied up with uh, Demarcus Lawrence <laughs> and Demarcus Lawrence ended up getting a, a, a drug suspension yeah. very shortly after that. So I remember them... Yeah, doing stuff at the ranch that weren't supposed to be doing and things like that, man. It was a the, ripple effect. The two things that stand out most to me about that Greg Hardy time was, one, the very first time that he spoke to reporters before he played against the Patriots. And oh, Brady's when he was wife, asked about yeah. Tom Brady, and he says, I love Tom Brady. I love his wife. I hope she's there. I hope her sister's there. And you're just like, wow, where is this going? And then he sits there and then he's like, he says something about like how he's going to come out like guns blazing after there had been, uh, I don't know if it was the pictures had come out yet, but there was some accusations about him throwing his ex-girlfriend on a bed of guns and stuff. Like it was just like, I couldn't believe that. But me in person, the one that I'll always remember about him is when he was real fired up in New York and he comes to the sideline after this was on a special teams was on a kickoff and he just starts trying to like fire up the special teams unit and you can tell, like, they didn't want him in the huddle. And Rich Bisaccia tries to get in there. And Greg Hardy slaps the clipboard out of Rich Bisaccia's hand. Now, this, the TVs were on commercial at the time. And so I'm, like, watching this. I'm just like, oh, my God, what is going on here? So I took a video of it with my phone because I could just see it was riling up. So I got it all. I post it. I got in trouble. They basically told me that, like, you're not supposed to be video and stuff like that. And uh, uh, on the sidelines during commercials and stuff like that and posting it on Twitter. So... Um, I had to take it down or they were going to take away my credential, but it was wild. Like, I just couldn't believe that it was going on. And Jason Garrett was standing not far away from it. And he really didn't do anything to get involved. He kind of just wanted to not have anything to do with it. So I'll always remember that because I was like, if this is really the right kind of guy and you're trying to build the team that way, like you wouldn't want to deal with that. You would just part ways. And then the last one was just there was a time after that where I don't know if it was because of the domestic violence uh, stuff that was starting to come out about him but i just remember he was on twitter a lot and saying inappropriate stuff to the point where like garrett was having to address it in all the press conferences and you could tell he hated having to deal with all that it was just one big headache for for nothing and just what ends up being just a disaster of a season the only really positive that you got out of it was really the first half against the patriots he had like two sacks on brady he hit him like another three or four or five times something like that and interception too didn't he didn't he yeah 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 yes interception yeah yeah and I'll never forget after he like first got out on the field uh, when the Patriots went went to offense, something happened on the field. I don't know if a player got hurt or there was a timeout, but Tom Brady went over to the sideline and he was talking to, I don't remember if it was his OC at the time or if it was Belichick. And, and Greg Hardy, instead of being in the huddle with the rest of the defense, is like halfway between the defense and where, where uh, Brady is, and he's just staring Tom Brady down. Like, And it's so painfully obvious up in the press box. Like he was trying to make it this big, like, you know, like trying to intimidate Tom Brady or something. It was just so bizarre. And I mean, like I said, he did have some impact early in that game, but it was basically all downhill after that. Yeah, Patriots won that game, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I remember the last day he was here too, John. Remember where he had that giant box in the locker room and he yeah. was like <laughs> filling it up with all his, sh- he had like shoes. 90 pairs of shoes in the locker yeah. room and he's making this huge scene, like chunking shoes across the locker room into this cardboard box. And uh, it was, yeah, quite I, still have, I still have a pair. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. He was giving them away. He was like, you guys <laughs> I want these? I don't. I, I would never take, no. Yeah. Well, what security had, security had to get involved out there, right? To make sure that he left because people were worried that he might come back. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, do y'all want to end it on uh, the the bullet dodged um, uh, signing, the sure. signing that the Cowboys didn't make but they could have that would have uh, been horrible? Nomdi Osimo. How different would things look if they ended up signing Demarco Murray uh, in 2015? Yeah. A five year, forty two million dollar deal with the Eagles. You do that deal, you likely don't draft Zeke uh, with the fourth pick in that draft, right? Not at all. Yeah, yeah. no, there's no, no way. No, no way. Yep. It does bring in probably Jalen Ramsey, though, right? 
I think likely the, the other name I would throw out there is Leonard Floyd, who the Bears cut and he signed with someone for a little more money than I would have paid. Let me see who Leonard Floyd signed with because that happened. Wasn't Floyd playing as more like a stand-up rusher though? I mean, I wonder yeah. if they would have thought yeah. he even fit that scheme. 3-4 rusher. Um, I don't think he signed with anyone yet. Uh, let me check. Sorry, guys. Uh, it would have been a huge uh, mistake yeah, if they list. drafted anybody other than Jalen Ramsey at that pick. Huge, huge mistake. You know, but our, 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 I kept hearing that if they took Jalen Ramsey, they were going to play him at safety. Okay, that's still I mean, fine. he still would have been great. They yeah, still would have been better fine. than the safety have the team. Woodson. That's better. I know, like, uh, he didn't – I mean, he, he had a couple good years in Tennessee. Um, DeMarco did after he left Philadelphia, you know, before Derrick mm-hmm. Henry really came on. But you you got to think that Philadelphia just wanted him out of Dallas. Like, they knew he wasn't their style yeah. of player. Like, he was a downhill runner between the tackles, like, downhill runner. And Philadelphia was, like, screen pass, and they were, like, kind of shifty, kind of Darren Sproles guys. And he just didn't fit their style of play at all. And they thought that was going to change with Chip Kelly, and it really didn't. And the writing was on the wall very, very soon. If you remember, he signed after Frank Gore and Ryan Matthews yep. signed with the yep. Eagles. Ryan so he was Matthews, like, oh man. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, Leonard Floyd guy signed with the Rams one year at $10 million. Recently? Yeah, $10 million? So, uh, wow. Seems like a lot for him. Yeah. A guy who's has not had a ton of production. But I just know Jerry liked him, you know, the, in 2016 before that draft happened. They were considering trading down maybe. Would they be able to get Leonard Floyd at six or seven or whatever? Well, can I can I say something about what this exercise taught me um, to wrap it all mm-hmm. up in a big Absolutely. picture editor format? You know what's interesting, right? We went through these we went through this list of bad signings, and the numbers weren't that bad, really, on any of them, right? Like, look at yeah. the bigger picture of what the rest of the NFL does compared to what the misses are here, and even I mean, after a few names, we started going back ten years ago, right? That's how hard it was to find truly bad ones. So they're not whiffing big on free agents they i mean greg hardy is the last you know correct me if i'm wrong here but i mean you know they had a run of guys like you know in, for different issues but guys who you know were quote unquote locker room concerns from your josh brents to your uh to your tos to your you know to your greg hardy's to your tank johnson's they haven't done that much recently we've talked plenty of times on the show whether i've been on or other people have that the drafting by and large has improved a lot uh, they stopped making really dumb trades, right? People thought Amari Cooper could have been that in the beginning, and clearly it's worked out. So when you look at all those things and you wonder why things have been bad, I mean, if there's ever reason for optimism that, hey, maybe Mike McCarthy really will work out better than we all think, so much of what we've seen, if you're, if you're not whiffing on free agents, you're not bringing in as many character concerns, your drafting is strong, well, coaching has to be a huge part of this, right? Like, I mean, for all the things we can analyze, you know, directly at point to point comparisons about how Green Bay is done versus what Jason did. We can micro analyze. We do all these things. This exercise really taught me when I took a big step back and I'm like, man, personnel wise, they haven't really been screwing up much at all relative to how they could be. That really makes me even more optimistic. I think that, you know, Mike McCarthy is not the perfect coach. We've talked about that. Well, we'll probably continue talking about that plenty because this is, if you're the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, your decisions can be analyzed. But it does bring some optimism that, you know what, like if there's a reason to believe that things will improve, it's that if the personnel decisions haven't been that bad, then maybe coaching really did play an even bigger part than we already figured it played a big role in. Yeah, the one name that we we didn't mention, but I know some fans listening to this will think of is is that 2012 deal for Brandon Carr because, you know, it was 50 million over five years. And and so he never made a Pro Bowl. He had seven interceptions in five years. And did start every game, though. He was a, he For was lack a solid of better starter. alternative sometimes. He was a solid starter and he started every game. But but the but the thing was is that that did impact the way that they looked at free agency going forward. And it's been brought it's up it. many a times and that they weren't going to be the big spenders that they were after that. Now it could also be a combination of that and then also the Namdi Asamoah and how how close they were to making a move there and how that obviously didn't work out. But but I don't believe Brandon Carr belongs in like any top five worst contracts of the last 10 years or anything like that. But I know fans will, will think of him and they will mention him. Um, but all in all, yeah, if he would have made a Pro Bowl or two, uh, then, it, then it works out. If not, then, you know, you basically paid $50 million, $10 million a year for a guy that was just he – was, he was a solid starter for you. Um, really didn't – I mean, he was on obviously the – 
the he was on the on the bad end of the big Calvin Johnson game up in Detroit because Rod Marinelli left him on an island with Calvin Johnson, which was obviously a mistake. And then obviously he was the defending on Odell, Odell Beckham and what is the greatest catch I've ever seen in my life. And so, you know, he's remembered for some of that stuff, but he was a good solid player, good team leader. Um, but I know a lot of people will mention that because it was five years, 50 million. Yeah. No, but I think that's, it's also like a time period where the shift very firmly, it, it's about that year, 2012, 2013, where you just started hearing Stephen Jones's name more, you know, Steven was always involved a little bit, but it's when he started seeing him just kind of take over a little more and a little more. And Will McClay's promotion is in that area as well, you know, where it became clear like, hey, they started going free agency is where you pay great players, not good players. You only pay great players. And then you you draft and fill holes. I mean, you, you use free agency to fill holes and then you take care of those needs in the draft. I don't always agree with the way they do that, but I I do think for the most part it has worked out. Um, there are some exceptions. That by, There's some exceptions. Absolutely, like there are. Tom Brady, they got him. The, the the Bucks got him for a great price. I mean, there's sometimes where hey, it, sure. it pans out. If a guy really wants to play for you and and whatnot, then it makes some sense to spend some money there. And like I said, if Brandon Carr does go to a couple of Pro Bowls and he's a pretty good corner, then you're looking at five years, fifty million. And you're like, dang, that was worth it, you know. Um, but for the most part, I agree with you, KT, and that is the thing that that Stephen has said many times, over, especially the last five, six years, is that that's exactly what happens: is you pay bad players like they're good players, and good players like they're great players. And, and if they're then for more than anything, that strategy that I was kind of talking about that did does lead to them going, "Hey, we have to take a defensive end here, and we'll take a cornerback here, and a this here, and a this here." You know, to me, they're picking at seventeen in a few weeks. If Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs or C.D. Lamb is their best player on their board, I want them to take that player. You know, I, if uh, I don't necessarily want to do that at some positions, you know, but you know, if that best player on that board is there, I want them to do that in round one and two and three. And you know, let's go needs on round maybe three and four. You know, like I, I, I still want them to really. If there's not a significant drop-off, I want them to take the best player. Last year, they took Tristan Hill over Connor McGovern. They had Connor McGovern graded higher. Like, I think that's something to kind of remember in the way they do things. They will draft need. And a lot of teams do that to an extent. But, you know, you can also put yourself and back yourself into a corner and shoot yourself in the foot a little bit by working that way. So, they just haven't perfected it yet. And you, that's why I think that's part of the reason we've been on the cusp some years. And alternate years of making the playoffs. They've kind of got some aspects of it figured out, but there are some aspects that leave your head scratching. And until that all gets settled, you're probably not going to see this team go make the playoffs for 10 straight years and be a contender for 10 straight years, which is hard to do. But I can tell you that was a fun hour, guys. I enjoyed talking uh, talking some football with you. Right, yes, I look, miss doing we'll, this with you guys. Uh, well, we'll be back, man. We've got draft stuff coming up, uh, of course. John – has an article up on The Athletic that uh, you guys should all check out, and I think we'll probably discuss next week the five significant needs that the Cowboys still have as we hit the month of April. Um, hopefully you're enjoying all our podcasts. We've done some podcasts in the past. The whole month of March had a ton of podcasts in it, some of our emergency content. So if you want our thoughts on Gerald McCoy, our thoughts on Ha Ha Clinton Dix, uh, and our thoughts on Malik Collins and Jason Witten leaving, just go to theathletic.com, go to the podcast uh, page or wherever you listen to your podcast, and you can find some of the past episodes of about them Cowboys. I think they will age very well in this time of uh, self-quarantining, and hopefully everyone's staying at home and uh, staying safe as uh, we kind of deal with this pandemic. If anything breaks in terms of a DAC contract or uh, really any other significant signing, you know that we'll have it covered for you with an emergency podcast here on About Them Cowboys. Is there anything uh, you'd like to promote uh, while you're at it, Mike? No. I mean, uh, listen to this podcast, read John's great work, read Bob's great work, come to The Athletic Dallas, and uh, we'll keep you covered in all things Cowboys. Yeah, a lot of fun content over at The Athletic. I know uh, the sports are gone right now, but a lot, of pod, uh, a lot of good content coming. Can't mention the Dane Brugler draft guide, The Beast. That'll be coming uh, within days, I would imagine. Yeah. So uh, be looking out sports for that. Sports movie week this um, week, by the way, KT. Sports movie week. A lot of fun we, uh, sports movie Oh, my God. I'm so Pieces in. on there. Uh, we, uh, by the day, we, there's three or four different 
um, features dropping every day this week about sports movies. So check that out. And I should say closer to home too. We had the the Dallas sport, you know, Dallas Fort Worth Sports Hall of Fame last week with John, which John uh, participated in. We've got something really big coming tomorrow. Um, so keep the eyes on the site for that. Actually, sorry, Thursday Ooh. we'll have a big uh, a big citywide piece again looking at kind of some big picture stuff that was a lot of fun to put together um so keep an eye out for thursday what we're gonna be doing that's encompassing all sports in the metroplex so we'll keep you covered you know don't worry it may not be sports and tv we're gonna have great content rolling through every single day just like we always do that's awesome news uh and i'll be on the lookout for that uh new thing uh, that you've uh, promised for tomorrow as well uh tomorrow on the 27th anniversary of the movie sandlot uh, today was the 25th anniversary of the movie Tommy Boy, which is not a sports movie, but a good one. It's a great American um, film. For our producer, Kit Garrison, for Mike Pellucci, for Father John Mashoda, I'm Kevin KT Turner, and we will see you next time on another episode of About Them Cowboys. Cowboys.